This evening is the beginning of a week-long retreat together and this talk is the usual introductory talk which speaks a little bit about the background to the meditation and speaks and it's also about the actual meditation practice and application and and I'll be giving some outline of our days here together. If one has some familiarity with the old religious religious texts and rather noticeably in the Buddhist tradition, there is a certain inference within those texts that in those days gone by, two and a half thousand years ago, two thousand years ago, men and women had a certain receptivity to what is called the Dharma, the teaching of a life of awareness and understanding. And there are many accounts in these old texts how upon listening to a particular teaching, upon listening to the Dharma, men and women came to an immediate and intuitive understanding of what was being spoken about. And that 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 intuitive understanding had a transforming effect impact upon consciousness. And there are countless illustrations and examples of where things were spoken of which had a very direct relevance to life, to actual factual life. And upon hearing, mind was changed. Changed in such a way that it had a, a liberating effect upon the consciousness. And out of that came love, understanding, wisdom, clarity. And there have been, in these old Asian uh, cultures, countless stories have been um, transferred or transmitted, shall we say, from one generation to another. And when we come to our own period and our own time in this particular society that you and I live in, in in the Western society, we see and we experience, at least to some degree, that things are not like they were and that there may have been, we, we don't know absolutely of course, there may have been periods of time in which the consciousness of human beings had a certain developed purity of mind, a certain sensitivity and and receptivity to the dharma of, of life. But those times have changed and we live in a different kind of world, we live in a different kind of society and a society where the pressure and the tension of the society is it would have seemed dramatically different and that for you and for I there is no possibility obviously of going back to a very simple way of living 
without all the expressions of input that keep striking your senses and my senses every day. And when we sometimes just give a little reflection to the contrast of society 100 years ago, 200, 1,000, 1,000 years ago, to what we have today, we see that one of the major contrasts is that in our world, your world and my world, we are constantly assaulted with sense data. The constant impingement upon our senses. If we live in a city, if we're exposed to the television, to advertising, to the media in general, to the whole field of technology. It's as though that in, our, in the world that we live in, our senses, and therefore our mind, is living in which there is little rest from this input. And not surprisingly, it produces for us in frequency of occasions in our life unsettledness, unrest, confusion, dissatisfaction. And our mind often needs great rest from this constant input. And sometimes the, the thought arises in the course of our daily life, act, act, activity where there's pressure at home, pressure at work, pressures of, re of study, pressures of responsibility, pressure of unemployment, or whatever it might be, that we need a break from that. We need to get in touch with, with ourselves. And sometimes days, weeks, months, years go by before that opportunity really becomes available to us. To take, to move just temporarily away, in a way, in a rather simple way, to give our mind a rest. And so, not surprisingly, therefore, centers and facilities like this one and others become something of a resource for people, which is what they are intended to be, a resource for our own development and clarity and understanding, to, to find that sense of, and rediscover a certain sense of well-being in life. In a perfect situation, a delightful situation, particularly for people who are uh, involved in this kind of t teaching work, it would be lovely to return back to the time, if there was a time, when one could just say, just say, live with awareness, give total devotion in life to awareness, because that's the, the heart of oneself. And that that would be able to be registered in such a way in your life and in my, in my life that we'd see the, the significance of that. That to live unconsciously, to live blindly or mechanically is a dull, dead way of living. I was just reminded, just, just um, a few minutes ago, some of the people from here... Um, went to uh, um, New York um, for the, uh, the weekend where this uh, um, aged Indian philosopher 
uh, Krishnamurti, J. Krishnamurti, has, has been speaking over the weekend, and I'm sure all of you have heard of him, have uh, uh, read some of his uh, works uh, over the years, and he's an elderly, very elderly gentleman. He'll be uh, 89 uh, next, uh, next month, and he's still very much on the circuit and uh, just like the rest of us, and I have, I'm just 50 years behind, we'll see how it goes. Uh, and last um, autumn, I had the uh, privilege of uh, having uh, lunch with him in uh, England. And in the course of the conversation we discussed, we, we were speaking together for a couple of hours, and we just discussed together some of the, of the things close to his heart, authority, gurus, tradition, isms, etc., et and somewhat close to mine as well. And one of the things which came up, he mentioned to me that he, that he goes to India as, uh, uh, every year to give some talks in Bombay and in Delhi and in, and in Madras, and he s s said to me, he said, the, he said they, the, po the politicians, you know, and the others, they, every year they come, they arrive, and they, and they come to listen to the, to the talks, this minister and that minister. And they've been coming, he said to me, they've been coming for years. But, he said, for me, it's a waste of time talking to them because they can't hear, they can't listen. So they come and they say, oh, Krishnaji, Krishnaji, Krishnaji. And, they, they, and, and they're there, but, he says, it makes no difference. And I said to him, but why? What, what's happening from the time that a person comes to listen to the message of life and, and, and awareness? Why don't they listen? Why, why, why is that so hard? And if I had been a little bit more concentrated, I, I should have pressed him. But as it happened, the conversation weaved into other, other things as, as well. But it, it's, it, it's, it's that relationship to, to life which hopefully meditation and your being here, my being here, our spending some time together in our meditations together, to some respect act hopefully as a real bridge to listening. Not only outward listening, because that's only part of the story, of course, to be able to listen to see what's really useful for oneself but also inner listening as well. And my goodness me, in this world that we live in, we need to be able to listen, inside and outside, at all areas and levels of our life. And so practice and refinement and development of mind and, and sensitivity and awareness somehow or other must contribute in a very real way to the capacity to listen and listen well. When that is happening, there is hope in life. And when, we are not, when, we, when that isn't happening, hope correspondingly diminishes. And we see that in our, with regard to ourselves, with regard to our personal relationships, with regard to social rela relationships, with regard to social political reality. A criteria for understanding and love is the capacity 
to listen. The days here together, these, these seven days, and seven days is a, a valuable and reasonably extensive period of time if we use the time fully and as totally as possible. And in these seven days that we have here together, we might say that the retreat here together is divided up into th three primary areas and each of these areas has an equal value and significance. So that one might say it forms something of the totality, something of the, of the whole here, here together. And, and with that, both in the atmosphere of the silence, which we begin to tomorrow morning, and also the fact that by, by actually being here and actually actively engaging in the meditation practice, regarding it as a bridge for understanding and clarity and self-knowledge, that each one of us, in a very real way, gives support to everybody else. And one, one can hardly overemphasize that the meeting together of like-minded people to give support to each other during the days that we are here together. And therefore, in the atmosphere of a, a group retreat that is giving support to each other, our listening and speaking and meeting together is an acknowledgement of giving support to each other. And through the situation, it can be a really very useful and valuable period. And one of the things which, um, in a way, is a major step in, it, in itself is that each person, each one of us who is here in this time, has actively made the choice, made, made the decision to come, to be here, to give some days to the inner work taking time out from mostly outer work, let us say, outer involvement, to the inner one. And the very fact that one's motivation has, is such that one has decided to carve out a piece of time for this, itself is a major step. Itself is a major step for human beings to, to look for fields where there is serious inquiry taking place. And that's what the meditation retreat is all, all about. You and I looking from a, a purely experiential standpoint. Self-knowledge is how am I experiencing what's happening in this particular mind and body. My mind and body, as we say. What actually occurs, what we, what we begin to to see occurring and arising and expressing is called self-knowledge. And when, and when there is self-knowledge, that can come to self-understanding. Or if one likes a more Buddhist style, going from um, knowledge, direct knowledge of mind-body to understanding of mind-body activity.
And in, in that respect, one does have to keep it the, the practice and the field of practice as far as the time goes, rather important, as far as the time goes in its context. Because some people feel, it's understandable enough, somehow or other being in this world, in a meditation retreat, is kind of one world, and then outside, on the other side of the wall there, that's the real world out, out there. But in, I would say that one's perception can change, and if you have my kind of lifestyle, where you, where you spend like two weeks and every four conducting a retreat somewhere and in retreat facilities um, more, more than that, then the which is real and which is unreal becomes a little bit more questionable. So, so sometimes when a person does have the feel, out, feeling, out there is the real world and in here it's, it's uh, um, un, unreal, I would say that in that kind of um, uh, perception, one to some extent it's coming out of not feeling so familiar with being in a place like this. But this is certainly a very real world, a very authentic uh, realm for human beings to meet and inquire together. In that, in that, uh, in our being here, it, as I mentioned, it is only for uh, a few days, so it's not something like a, a long period of time, it's, it's certainly not, I don't, wouldn't say it's, it's an escape from life, because life also very much includes what's happening for you, what's happening for me right now. That's the, that, that is the major area of life for us. We may have a great deal of interest outside and there's, and there's a great need and necessity to express our concern outside. But life as we tend to feel it and as we tend to know it is according to what's happening inside. What's emanating through ourselves is the, what shapes how we see life. And so our experience of, of life is not totally, but very much governed by what's happening here. What's going on inside of me is the major influencing factor about my whole relationship to life, all which I think life is, what I think the purpose of life is or isn't, uh, the, way I, the way I look at life, the way I feel and think about life, what I, my conclusions about life, all of that is coming from here. It doesn't come from anywhere else. It might be original and born of insight and intuitive seeing and a direct observation. It might be just merely second-hand stuff. So uh, when we're speaking of our experience of life, we are giving great consideration about what's happening with me. In, in that activity, of course, th there has been and there is and, and will be, hopefully, an extension of what we might say using meditation methods and techniques as useful and applicable tools for 
the work at hand. So, the med- so these me- meditation techniques, such as using the breathing, such as slow, mindful walking, such as the development of body awareness, these practices which in some form or other have had a continuity for many, many centuries, begin more and more to be applied to us as ordinary people living out our life. Today, John and I were talking in the talking. We went out for three hours this afternoon. And we were speaking how, having come, like some of you too who have been to the East, having come from the East, having spent several years there, and then coming to this situation here, the, the one outstanding contrast between being in the East and being in the West, as far as the application of meditation practice goes and serious meditation practice in the inquiry is that people who are, to use the jargon, householders are the ones who are really committed to the inquiry, to spirituality and to the practice. And that perhaps for the first time, perhaps for the first time in centuries upon centuries, that it's come out of the monastic system and all the confines and certain privilege of that into a setting which it has a more broad-based spectrum of human beings. And some of us feel that's been long overdue. In the application of the, of the day, let me speak a little bit now about the day, the timetable, time the, uh, the meditation methods and techniques, the, the meetings with you. Firstly, um, with regard to the, the, the methods and the techniques and the timetable, when you see the timetable, especially those of you who have never been in a retreat before, the timetable can look quite formidable. You know, one, one, one thinks this is going to be one long endurance test. And one looks at the, the start of the day and one sees the day begins at, uh, as it were, tomorrow morning at 5.30. And one thinks, oh God, what's the time now? Well, it's 8.41 at the moment. <laughs> and, uh, and so one does a quick mental count up about exactly how many hours sleep is going to, going to arise, you know, once and already see, ah, exi- anxiety already, <laughs> agitation already. And again, in, in the timetable for, for the day, the day rather alternates between um, sitting and walking, sitting and walking. And in that, um, the sitting periods are group practice, group sittings in here together, um, We'll, I think we'll have um, group walking practice together as well as personal walking periods. And if we can just use these, these times and the days here, and the thing is with the sitting and the walking is that it simply encourages us to be with ourselves without spacing out for too long. That, that, that's the, 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 the usefulness of the in the way of the group practice. And it's a bit too 
e easy to uh, in this uh, in this world that we live in because of all the things in the world and all the things inside of ourselves to lose touch with the moment through a whole variety of ways space space out in different ways and there's a loss of connection the loss of connection with the here now actuality and so group practice can contribute enormously to that. So our day is rather alternating um, between sitting and walking, sitting and, and walking. But in good old Vipassana tradition, we're not like some of our Zeni friends, quite so um, militaristic. And if you prefer, I hope they won't, don't mind me saying that, if they do, they'll give me 30 blows. <laughs> but. Uh, in good old Zen tradition, <laughs> So as far as the actual um, sitting uh, posture uh, goes, um, one may uh, use, if one likes, these, um, the, zaf- the zafus here, um, and some people pr- like to use the, the, st- the stool, Others of you may care to use the chairs, or use, or particularly if you, particularly if you have um, back um, problems, then sometimes it can, can be supportive to use a chair or use the wall. But only I say, would say if you do have back problems, in that uh, um, practices towards um, developing as much um, inner support and. Um, independence as possible, rather than leaning on anything in this world, any time. So, in that respect, whether you use the, 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 the zafus or whether you use a stool or, or chair, that really doesn't make any difference at all. There is no hierarchy or, or in over one way more than the other. And what does contribute, I would say, however, and it's useful to remind oneself at the beginning of the sitting, we use reminder, to check the posture. That the posture itself is reasonably straight and, and um, um, upright. And in that, one doesn't have to be um, ramrod uh, uh, straight, like as though one just had electric shock. But, but much more, just the feeling of some expansion in the chest area, chin a little bit tucked in, feeling expansion in the stomach, um, abdomen, diaphragm region, rather than being cramped down, which puts pressure there, energy doesn't seem to flow quite so easily and fluidly. So a little sense of expansion in the sitting practice and checking that at the beginning of the sitting and giving in one sitting practice, some care and attention to the posture. And it's a good reminder, a useful reminder to do that in the course of our, obviously, our daily life activities, particularly for people who are in jobs where they're writing a lot or jobs where there's some concentrated focus, useful and beneficial to keep reminding oneself, what's the condition of the posture? And it's not that every time you visit your mother-in-law, you, you walk in and sit like this. They don't seem to respond very well, I can tell you from experience. Um, but, rather, but rather just sitting and being uh, in a 
relaxed and steady posture and just feeling comfortable with one with oneself and just that regular checking of posture really does does help in one's uh, life and thus we come in in here check check the posture initially giving attention to the breathing and this giving attention to to the breathing being to be in touch with the full expanse of each breath now that can seem an extremely boring and tedious thing thing to do and if one has a habit of viewing lots of things in life as being boring and and tedious then the mind is going to transfer that kind of way of looking at things to something like being with the breathing because that there is a pattern to interpret life and events in in that way and so sometimes practice is just learning to be with something which is sustaining one's life and it sometimes it is hard to to have a direct and ongoing appreciation of that and we tend to give uh, sometimes too much value to thinking as though though all the thinkings we have are um, completely indispensable and too little time to things which which are life maintaining a life to which are a life sustaining element like breathing like drinking like eating and and all and the values of like being able to sit like being able to walk like being a human being etc and these basics of life in our culture and society we are in real danger of just losing connection with and this loss of connection with life and the primary elements of life is having an extraordinarily destructive effect in our world just look at the state of our world look what we look what we as human beings have, have done to it all of us and so we're trying to find ways and means to develop an awareness to to life and to reality and when there is an awareness of reality love and compassion must unfold out of that awareness you and i know that's when we know when we're in touch with the reality of life love and compassion must unfold but when we're not in touch the, with with the reality when we just have a conceptual idea of reality when we just have access to a lot of information about reality and a lot of muddled views and opinions about it generated through the magazines and so forth it's only telling us we're not in touch with it whether it's the reality of our social relationships the reality of being with ourselves the reality of being with the, the political economic situations in life when we're in touch with the reality in a deep way love for it must come through care must come concern must come through action must come through and that's why i'm saying we're in danger of losing touch with reality and I I'm sure you and I we we know that we know that when we when we see the realities of of life that it touches a place inside of us and 
feeling of compassion comes because we've seen the reality of something. Now in our day we have the sitting practice working with the breathing, experiencing the in-breathing, experiencing the out-breathing, if necessary, making the breath longer and deeper, really, really being in touch, in touch with that element that which keeps and maintains human existence, all of us, for us, all of us as human beings, it's our, one of our common denominators. And our practice goes from the sitting periods to the walking periods. And I want to emphasize with this walking practice, some people find it hard. They find it hard in a different way from sitting. Sitting is hard, it's an obvious form of hard. Hard, why? It's hard on my blasted knees, it's hard on my back, it's, it's, it's hard on, on my whole system. I'm not used to sitting like this. So one has an obvious form that it's hard, it's difficult, there is pain, there's things to work through. And it seems, for most, that walking isn't hard. But actually, it seems to me that walking is often harder. And it's harder insofar as one can have 50 people sitting and one have a, a walk around and check the scene and one finds there's only 15 or 20 people walking. And, and, it's, and it's, in other words, it's hard in a different way. It can be hard because one can't see the value of being totally in touch with oneself from one step to the next. One can't see what it means to, to walk in a mindful and conscious way as a human being through her or his environment. One can't, one can't see how the mind has got distracted and says, oh, I think I'll have a, a lie down. I think I'll wash my, um, brush my teeth for the fifth time today. <laughs> or, or, or whatever. I think I'll go and have a, a, a nibble on that packet of cookies that I just brought in with me in my suitcase, or whatever it might, whatever it might be. And, and, and very easily there's a, a distraction away from the activity which brought one here. And that's why walking is hard. It's not easy to maintain a real continuity of that practice. And the main thing with the continuity is that, the, that, that we get, we, it begins to register with us. Because you and I move out of the posture, it doesn't mean to say that life stops. It doesn't mean to say in any way, of course, that our practice isn't, is less out on the other side of this wall than in here. And the practice out there is as great a practice as in here. It needs the same commitment. But out there, when one is walking, one is a bit more on one's own. People often don't leave the meditation room, I mean, out of support for the other people in here. Or if I, if I get up, if I walk out, it's going to um, disturb and create noise. So the group energy keeps, helps to keep us all, all uh, uh, focused. But out there, one's got more self-reliance. And that self-reliance is part of one's practice. So let, let, let's write from this evening and write through the days to, together, have a real sense of an unbroken practice taking place within that support for all of us.
finally, the walking practice is walking slowly and mindfully, feet making contact with the ground. You're experiencing one foot touching the ground, you experience the other foot touching the ground. That's the basic experience of walking. And again, we're renewing in a real, actual way our contact with the earth, contact with, with this world which you and I walk on. And just renewing, renewing that again and again. When our mind wanders and drifts away, it's a, that quiet discipline which brings it back to the fact of what is happening, so that mind and body are keeping it together. That's our meditation. So there's the, the sitting and the, the walking periods. Tomorrow morning there'll be a short talk giving further explanation about the meditation practice and more ways of working with the breathing and the walking. Other times of the day include the evening period when either John or I give a talk and remembering too, the talk is not to generate a kind of belief system from us over to you. That's not the purpose, not the motivation behind the talk. There are already in this world plenty of people who are doing a seemingly a very successful job in converting other people to buy a package. And, but that's not the, the, the scene here. And ra rather it's on this time-honored principle. Uh, that means if something is said which resonates with you, which, which feels right and uh, uh, appropriate, we are pleased when it feels happy and, uh, and, and joy in that communication. If something is uh, spoken which has no relevance to you, inappropriate, isn't true, unskillful, hypothetical, etc., etc., then let it go. Don't bother with it. So it's not like you know, one has to take all, there's a certain necessity, discernment, which takes place out of our listening, out of our being in touch with ourselves to see what's useful and appropriate. And that I feel, for me certainly, and I express that with um, earnestness, because I feel that when I have the opportunity, time, time to time, to listen to others, then I feel it's a very important freedom that one must have to see what's applicable to oneself. There's too much in this world. There are too many, there are too many door knockers in the world. That's so, and that's another area of the retreat. So, meditation, evening talks, and finally, the times when John and I meet with you during the, the day. Sometimes I've been seeing people in the library and John in his room and we'll see people regularly throughout the course of this uh, seven-day period together basically to check practice, to see, um, for you to say anything you wish to say. If you have nothing to say, then we can ask you questions. And it's a time of just making a communication there. If we put all these three together, we can provide between us, a beneficial uh, psychological climate for inquiry, for meditation, and for understanding.
may all beings be in touch with themselves. May all beings be in touch with life. May all beings live with awareness. <laughs>